Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Our guest today is the COO of LifeAge Beverage Company, Andy Halliday. Andy's the son of an Air Force B-52 aircraft commander and spent his high school years in Tachikawa, Japan, when his father retired from the Air Force to become a 747 captain for Japan Airlines. He left to Japan to go or left Japan to go to Dartmouth, graduating and spending six years in the ski industry, where he became the director of skiing and guest services for a manager at Sunshine Village outside of Banff, Alberta. He left skiing in 1981 for Harvard Business School and subsequently spent 15 years in the specialty chain store business at a New York Stock Exchange changed chain store conglomerate with 3,500 stores. Later, between 2003 and 2015, Andy had become the founder or CEO of four startups, which together received 18 million in venture funding, including ourstory.com, tagvault.org, and the student community mobile app, Eroder. He was also an executive team member of startups like Spoke.com, MerchantCircle.com, and Reply.com. And in 2011, Andy met the co-founders of LifeAid and became an advisor as they sought invest initial funding and commencement of operations. In 2015, the LifeAid brand took an offline and CrossFit gyms where he then joined as COO. So Andy, welcome to the Second Command podcast. Thanks for having me. I didn't know that you were Canadian or, or had lived in Banff. I was a landed immigrant, yeah, for four years. And, and uh, yeah, my first wife uh, was from New Liskert, Ontario. <laughs> That's amazing. I was from Sudbury. I've been to New Liskert a couple of times. Yeah, so you know it well. <laughs> I think I planted trees up near New Liskert. I, yeah. um, I moved to Western Canada because of Banff, Alberta. I went out to Banff in 1979 and it blew my mind. And we then were I went there out at the same time, Cameron. Yeah. And then I went out and skied around 1981. And it was, uh, was Brewster the name of a run at Sunshine? Yeah, Brewster was the name of a mountain there. That's okay. Right. I remember and, like, and a, I remember a big the Great Divide lift. Yeah. The Great right. Divide. Yeah. And there was like a big mogul run on one part of it. And then yeah. I remember that really clearly. And then I remember, yeah, Lake Louise. I actually got to ski a couple of runs with Ken Reed at Lake Louise when I was like 17 years old. And it, well, I, I was pretty much in a full talk and he was like free skiing down the hill, but we skied, <laughs> we skied two runs together and he was my idol. It was really cool. Oh, good. Well, I think this means that we'll have to find an occasion to go skiing together. Oh yeah. Well, and then did you, I'm sure you got out to uh, Fernie BC. Did you, or you yes, I, I've done all the, all the mountains there, like it, it, at events, like, uh, you know, instructor trainings and that sort mm. of thing. Uh, and recently I went up to ski Whistler Blackcomb with some ex-colleagues uh are still still my colleagues yeah. from the sunshine village days oh yeah well please ping me next time i i live part-time in vancouver and i used to have a place up in whistler and yeah i i've been um I, that's why i moved out here i was just so blown away and growing up in northern ontario where the hills were you know you could actually see from the top of the mountain to the bottom my dad would have like a little flag to count us down and we would tuck to the bottom in like 11 <laughs> seconds <laughs> so oh, anyway you did your MBA at Harvard. Yes, I didn't. I couldn't spell Harvard in school. I was I just wasn't that guy. What was it like? Oh, it was a, it was a wonderful opportunity to um, read intensely and and discuss energetically. I mean, let me just paint a little picture. You you throw eighty plus people into an amphitheater classroom 
everybody has to have read the case. The instructor walks in, uh, says, oh, good morning. Okay, uh, Andy Halliday, you, uh, you start off and you have to lay out your analysis of the case. So you have to be prepared. So everybody's prepared. They all have their own unique position on that. Mm. And then for an hour plus, there's a, a, a thriving discussion that ensues. And, and you have to be really paying attention and find the opportunity to actually inject, insert something that's progressive of the discussion. That active listening and that intellectual engagement with you know, a, a set of problems that everybody has studied carefully overnight and everybody coming into that room is really well prepared even before they ever arrived at Harvard. You know, they've been hand selected in many respects to be capable of, of engaging in that conversation. Mm. I, I've, I've had no experience like it since. Do you, do you, yeah, and 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 what a time to be there too. I mean, I think the very first business book I ever read was What They Don't Teach You at Harvard Business School by Mark McCormick. And oh, I, I missed that book. What, what did, did you? they teach me? Right? Yeah, Tell me what the gaps are, please. This was a long time ago. It was like 40 years ago. I don't know. It was just like the stuff that they don't teach you, but I don't even remember it. I just remember that yeah. was the book. But but that was the day when Har like Harvard was the preeminent MBA program of its time back then, for sure. Yeah, I think Stanford was e you know, equally prestigious and focused more on quantitative things. I think if people who are really quant jocks would prefer, prefer to go to Stanford. Uh, and, and then Harvard is much more general management in its focus. And was it Dartmouth College you went to school to for your undergrad? Did you ski yeah. race there? I, I was on the ski team for one year, but I was not. I was, I'm a, I was a good skier, but I wasn't athletically tiger-like. Right. And so I was always the guy at the end of the of the, the, the run, you know, there's huge ruts now because everybody else has gone ahead of me. And so it, it didn't turn out. I ended up shifting over to being an instructor at the Dartmouth Ski School. Oh, cool. And, you know, we, uh, Skiway, Dartmouth Skiway is its own ski area at Dartmouth. And so uh, I, I started out doing the pedagogy of alpine ski instruction there. Yeah, I, I raced against Dartmouth twice in the Canadian American Championships back in like 85, 86, and you guys blew, blew us away. So I was in the ruts behind your ruts. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like kind of transitioning from an MBA and, and then into all of these startups that you had the experience with? Uh, well, I, I first did a stint in, you know, at New York Stock Exchange Company, as you know, Edison Brothers stores for 15 years. So right. close to 15, I had 12 years there, and then subsequently three years with Simon Property Group. But uh, the, that was, <clears throat> you know, a major transition from the outdoor world, but definitely focused on management. I had significant management responsibilities, both for, you know, the uh, hotel operations and for the ski school uh, and all these sort of customer-facing, guest-facing uh, mm. uh, guest uh, staff on the on the resort. It was a pretty big resort, you know, 400 plus employees. Yeah. Um, that moving from that to basically sitting in a in an office uh, and and working on, uh, I was one of the very first people to get a personal computer. You know, uh, you know, in that company, I I started to do analysis and then also uh, developing macro-driven. Uh, Lotus one, two, three programs to actually deliver things to the field. Uh, it was, it was both interesting, but it was also a bit of a disappointment in how contained I felt yeah. uh, just in terms of that transition. So that, that's one aspect of it. But um, overall it was, it was exciting and challenging and, and it gave me broader responsibilities over a much larger budget, if you will, uh, than, than I've ever experienced in the ski industry. 
Did you, do you think that was kind of your real world MBA combined with your MBA then when you were there for that 15 year period? Did that really? No, no doubt. I really understood after that, uh, I, I understood the, the ebb and flow of the seasonality of a business, you know, the, the importance of things like margin and, uh, you know, the, the business I was in, especially chain store retailing, had a lot to do then before the advent of systems that would actually track the cost of items, it was using the retail inventory method. And so planning for open to buy using the retail inventory method and trying to avoid the mistakes that would lead to huge markdowns that would crater your overall contribution margin for that set of stores, that, that really taught you, you know, how important it is to really keep your hand and your, and your finger on the pulse of what's going on in the business. I've been making up a data point or a, a ratio, uh, for lack of a better term, to to work with some companies that sell exclusively on Amazon and helping them trying to control their inventory. The number I've come up with was you take your gross margin multiplied by the number of inventory turns per year, and it has to come out to 240 or greater. So if you have like a 60% gross margin, you got to turn it four times to come up with 240. If you've got a 30% gross margin, you got to turn it eight times. Do you have any kind of a number like that to optimize inventory so you're not sitting on too much? Well, I, you know, it, it depends in part on what the lead time for your supply chain is. Yeah. And, and, and um, you know, in the apparel business and shoe business, all of those things were being manufactured abroad and shipped in. So you had to plan for a subsequent season six sure. to nine months ahead. Yeah. So there, you know, you're really throwing down a bet about what was going to work and what wasn't going to work. Right and on Amazon, it's it, it, there's well, first of all supply chains are much shorter now, even if you're buying from Asia. Uh, but nonetheless, if, if you have you know rapid production capabilities or just in time you know supply chain, you don't have to worry so much about that. So it's really dependent on which industry you're in. I would say. Do you I'll think test your 240 though later. See if yeah, that it would be interesting to see if you'd test that for me. And I'd love to get your thoughts on it. I, I'm also curious whether companies are making a, a mistake or maybe being short-sighted without looking at the data in, in manufacturing in Asia or in other markets when they have that long lead time. Would they be better off maybe paying a little bit more and having a faster you know, turnaround in North America? Any thoughts around that at all? Well, I, I haven't had to face that particular question. Uh, you know, we, we Life Aid Beverage Company does compacting. So we, we have canning companies in effect. We use the 12-ounce can model. And like many other beverages, we deliver all the raw materials to the co-packers doorstep. They run, you know, in very high volume, you know, production lines, the delivery of the cans to pallets. Mm -hmm. And then those pallets are delivered to our warehouses and we distribute them. How many so, co-packers would you work with? Uh, the co-packers we work with are Portland Bottling Company on the West Coast and Big Beverage in North Carolina. So you've got two. Yeah. We have Is a, that... another smaller one that does sort of trial runs and small production runs for us when we're experimenting with different can designs or doing new formulations, that sort of thing. But the main volume of production is done by those two co-packers. Interesting. All right. I'm, I mean, I'm familiar with LifeAid. Can you just tell our listeners exactly what LifeAid is if they're one sure. of the random four people who haven't bumped into your product yet? <laughs> Good. I, I hope you've seen it. It's, it's generally available in most every grocery store uh, and uh, around the country and, and now around the world, not in grocery stores, but we have distribution and gyms everywhere. We are the functional beverage company. 
our lineup is different supplement blends for various use occasions. And a good example would be one of our top selling blends. It's called FitAid. Uh, this is the company's logo, but you would see, uh, I'm, I'm showing uh, Cameron here the can. There you go. Before too, but there's FitAid. Uh, FitAid is the number one post-workout recovery beverage. And it's the performance and recovery choice of great athletes in CrossFit, the NFL, NBA, MLB. Uh, another example is Focusade. So this is a different supplement blend. It's our nootropic stack energy drink. It's a blend of cognitive enhancers plus energy from natural caffeine, green tea, and yerba mate. And that energy blend aids mental acuity, focus, concentration, memory. Uh, and so uh, it has, it's, it, by the way, secret tip to everybody out there, all our products are priced the same, but Focusade is the most expensive for us to produce because of the cost of those important compounds that are helpful to the cognition. And specifically, I'll mention alpha-GPC for memory and cognition. That's alpha-gamma-phosphatidylcholine. That's one of the key compounds that works in your brain cells. And another is GABA, gamma-aminobutyric acid. That's stress relief, focus, and clarity. We also add rhodiola rosea for concentration, acetyl l carnitine and a dose of American ginseng for retention of learning. It's a really amazing set of uh, supplements. And by the way, what's common about all of our products is these are not pixie dust formulations. This right. is not milligrams. In our, there's several grams of supplements in each one of our formulas. Wow. And this is, it's just, if anyone hasn't seen the packaging, it's, it's usually, it's always a, a solid color with white on every can, right? The, the word is in red and then it's like a dark black or a dark blue or a dark red or something with white. That's how you- That's, you that's generally is true. We have a, a brand new can design that's out. What's uh, common about them all is the, the A, so fit aid or focus aid or immunity aid or party aid, which is our post weekend recovery drink. <laughs> uh, all of them have AID with a white cross in the D. That AID is in red. And that'll, that'll be the thing that catches your eye. That's how they'll spot it. So for my, oh. my kids who are going off to university, their, their party aid will be a, a every day of the week drink, I would imagine. Yeah. So let me mention one other thing since you brought up kids. Uh, yeah. You know, Orion uh, uh, Mellahan and Aaron Hind are the co-founders of the company and came up with the concept for the whole Life Aid line. Their motivation was that they were sickened by sport and energy drinks that were being marketed to kids and were primarily caffeine and sugar. Yeah. And so they conceived a, a way of producing something that would be filled with things that are good for you and nothing bad. So no artificial sweeteners, no artificial colors, uh, no sucralose or aspartame compounds that make mm. for sweetening, but are not good for your body. Yeah. Uh, and so all of our all of our blends are designed to do that to be a better for you drink that can provide you with important supplements and energy when you need it. Awesome. All right. Let's go back to the the time in Banff, Alberta for a second when you were doing all that customer facing. Did Was that hard for you to give that up or did you find other ways to stay connected with the customer as you moved into an office and, and you know, where you weren't talking to and facing customers so forefront every day? Yeah, you know, um, it, it was gone to a large degree. My, my audience changed from being the guests of the resort and, and being directly visible to them and, and ex extended through the staff that, that I, were delivering the services directly to them. Instead, you know, store operations in a chain store with a thousand stores, 
I, I, as, the, as the president, I wasn't going out to every one of the stores. I would do store visits for sure. I would do store openings. I would be there, but it was generally off hours. I wasn't working with customers. And so I think that there was a gap there and, and I hadn't thought about that. I, interesting question to pose, but I, I missed that. Yeah, I'm wondering if it's if it's been kind of part of your DNA now that that need to connect with the customer, um, even though the the maybe model is slightly different. That's interesting. You know, uh, one of the things that I like about e-commerce and a lot of my history has been, you know, since 1998 when I came out to Silicon Valley, it has been involved with e-commerce, and so that's a big part of my portfolio. And one of the appeals of e-commerce is you have a very direct and immediate feedback loop with the customer, but it's invisible and ghostly. With the exception of the customer service team here at LifeAid or at an e-commerce company of, you know, that, that's uh, you know, providing other services, the customer service team has engagement directly with consumers. But you know, other than for that, it's mostly the information systems and, and the visibility that you gain about the customer behavior there is what's feeding your interpretation of what the customer's in, in involvement is. But you really have to extend that to focus groups and to you know, observational uh, you know, uh, uh, and research in effect to, to really understand what the customer's experiencing. Yeah, and just to really try to stay connected. Talk to me about what it was like then, you, know, you had some roles as CEO. What have been the differences between being a CEO in some of these firms and then being a COO now? Yeah, so I've, I've been a COO a couple of different times prior, uh, and and then now I've been the CEO COO at uh, at LifeAid for six years. Uh, it, the, the main difference is that I, I would say the main difference is that the CEO has an, an encompassing authority and an encompassing responsibility for outward facing presentation. Whereas the COO is more back office, you know, like making sure the trains run on time behind the scenes. I, I, it, it, while I was a CEO, I was the front man for the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would do all the press. I would, you know, be involved in all the events and so on. I, I'm very invisible, <laughs> not invisible, but I'm invisible to the customers. Uh, but hopefully, you know, the work that I do behind the scenes is really important to supporting both Aaron and Orion as they do their front and outward facing roles. And as they focus on the specific functional areas that they've chosen to divide between them, in our case, the CEO is focused on finance and operations plus production. And uh, that's, that's Orion Melahan. And then Aaron Hind is sales and marketing and customer service. So he's got all of those more outwardly facing roles and he is both of them together present very well, as you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, but uh, Aaron is really the one who, uh, f- with our customers, our main customers, major retailers, major distributors, etc., he'd be the one who would be the the main face of the company. Um, although Orion's right there, and both of these guys are in- incredibly articulate and great proponents of our vision and our strategy. I've I've been in a couple of mastermind groups and and been around Aaron a few times. Um, were was the mastermind community part of their brand outreach or like getting thought leaders or did I just happen to bump into them and they were just there was product there? No, it, you know it's really a part of the uh, inception story of of LifeAid. Uh, you know, LifeAid is a different kind of beverage company in its, yeah. in its founding because. 
that never before had a company really attempted to do something like be an online beverage, mm. shipping cans of, you know, 70% water <laughs> around the country. And, and would that even work? Uh, this, this is before the advent really of free shipping uh, on Amazon. Uh, the company was founded in 2011. Uh, and, and, you know, the company did all of this direct both to consumers and to gyms early on. Where that started out was the self-education and the, uh, the work that these two guys did to develop their own understanding of, of a business and business in general was profound. And it involved the mastermind programs that you're referring to. Hmm. In that context, they were meeting largely with people who were marketing digital products online, not physical products. Yeah. But they found a way to translate the methods and the mechanisms of that digital marketing machinery and do that for beverages. Yeah, and that yeah. would, we, they grew this business to the point of about 10 million, $12 million by 2014 without any meaningful distribution on, on store shelves. Oh, wow. All done through small parcel shipments to gyms and to consumers. Wow. So they, so let me just brag on them a little bit more, which is, these two guys, when I first joined the company in 2015, there were just seven or eight people. And these two were the ones who were managing the online email marketing system. They were creating the campaigns. They were interacting with the, with the customers. They were simultaneously creating the products and, wow. and you know, developing. They, they did an e-commerce company startup using beverages. And that was the platform from which we then extended to retail distribution. Wow. Amazing. Is that why you joined them? Because they had already kind of figured out the direct to consumer and they had a brand and they needed your kind of expertise on the, the retail side or. No, actually um, I, I'll, I'll say that like, again, my, my portfolio is e-commerce largely. Okay. So I, I was impressed with what they had accomplished. And, and I've been an advisor from 2011. They, they presented okay. to me the, the uh, concept before they'd ever produced the product. Okay. okay. Uh, and so I, I'd been along for the ride in many ways. Yeah. But there was a big gap in there in between when they really took off with CrossFit gyms in 2014. Um, then they, they reached a breaking point on the e-commerce platform that they had developed, uh, you know, through a connection of one of the people who was an early participant in the company, uh, that, that platform was going to crater under the weight of the demands of a growing population of consumers. And so I came in as uh, first as a consultant to help them make a transition to a bigger e-commerce platform and to develop the systems around that. And then it became very clear internally in 2015 that they, they needed somebody they were going to grow more rapidly than, than would be supported by their personal conduct of all of those management tasks. And so they saw the need for somebody to step in and do the work alongside them. Makes and sense. so I came in and one of the things that I, I recall when we were making the transition to retail, we knew that we were going to find our way into distribution. We were being approached by um, Whole Foods, for example, in that year. And, and that as a result of one of the buyers in one of the regions of Whole Foods being a CrossFit enthusiast mm -hmm. and was a, a consumer of Fit Aid in the CrossFit gym and, and turned to a broker and said, why aren't you presenting me with Fit Aid? Where are these guys? Wow. Get them in here. So 
I can recall in, in our tiny little office that we had at the time when there were only seven or eight of us, uh, I, I remember us sitting with a whiteboard and I was uh, saying, okay, you know, what I think is gonna be required here is you're gonna have to build out this whole sales and marketing organization. There's gonna be all these people who are gonna have to be used to do this part of the business. And, and so how many is that? And where do we get the money to do that? And that's what triggered our first efforts to get private equity funding because we knew we had to hire some, some staff to support that sales and marketing outreach to retail. You're, you're in the same approximate demographic or geographic area as the, the, the um, uh, CrossFit head offices. Yeah, Santa Cruz. You? They, they were founded in Santa Cruz. Yeah. And in fact, um, the, the CrossFit gym that, uh, that um, Orion and Aaron both went to is how they met. They also had some other common connections, but they were CrossFit enthusiasts together and they were also great golfers, hence Golfer Aid, one of our products. <laughs> I remember that uh, one. Okay. Um, but yeah, like, we're interwoven with CrossFit here. But the Golfer Aid does not help you with your putting. So I think it's like a false advertising. <laughs> um, talk about, you, you guys just raised some money. What, 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 what was the purpose for this raise and how many rounds have you raised? Yeah, I'd say there are uh, cumulatively maybe four different private equity rounds, uh, raises, I should say, that have been done. Our first private equity round was in 2016 with Carp Riley, a, a very prestigious and, and sort of top level consumer products uh, portfolio. Uh, and uh, th those guys have been great supporters of ours all the way through. Uh, this most recent round that we raised uh, was for something in excess of $15 million. There's some press out there uh, that you can read about it. Uh, it was led by one of our other private equity groups, uh, uh, Cambridge SPG, and, and together uh, with a whole host of new investors, Carp um, Riley and Cambridge SPG have, have supported us in the transition we're making right now to play in the big leagues. Right now, we're in the beverage industry mm. compared to all the energy drinks. Red yeah. Bull, Monster, yeah. Rockstar, yeah. Bang, Alani New. Those players are at a certain level. And if you look at the top half of the, of the energy drink category, we're at the top of the bottom half in wow. volume and Already. velocity. Yeah. We're, we're, we're in a position to break through and enter into the big leagues with them. But that's a very capital intensive and a very expensive proposition to gain the market awareness and the distribution support in the form of DSD uh, uh, operators out there to deliver to many, many more locations than you could reach if you were going simply through major wholesale distribution and or direct retail as we do to HEB, Whole Foods, Walmart, et cetera. How many, how many markets are you in currently? Um, or how many it, not it, markets? How many countries? I'm sorry. Countries, yeah. So there are a lot of uh, uh, distributors. So I'd say there's uh, 20 different countries that were sold in. Okay. But most of them are small. We have wholly owned subsidiaries in Canada, EU, which covers all of the EU. Um, so all the countries of the EU are supported by our EU subsidiary, and then Australia, New Zealand. So altogether, you know, we have those international companies, and those are. Those are focused at the moment primarily on the gym market. That's our route to market as we go into the gyms with our energy drink for athletes. That's what our entry point is. We have the other products that are available to them for different use occasions. 
you know, the, the number two product focus aid is sold in gyms as well. Mm. Uh, so, you know, people buy them there or they buy them off the, the grocery store, not for their workout, not post-workout, but, you know, for their work day. Right. Yeah. Is where you really want to have the focus aid. It's much better for you in many ways. Better for your brain, brain food. That's the one coffee provides. That's the one I've been looking for as well. I got to get off this whole third cup of coffee every day thing. And I've been looking for the focus aid up in Canada. What do you, let's talk about focus. What are you focusing on day to day in your role as COO? Well, again, my, um, my interest has largely been in, uh, in systems, right? So uh, I, I've been involved in e-commerce development, of course, but the, pla- the platform and the business intelligence systems and the financial reporting systems that work here at LifeAid are all products that I've negotiated and then delivered through our development teams, integrations across all these different components of our system stack. So that's a key part of my responsibility. I have people reporting to me who manage the development team. We have a really crack uh, PHP and Magento development team that does extensive customization. If you look at our website, it's unlike any other. Mm. Uh, It's not like a me too kind of thing on a a standard platform. It's highly customized uh, and it's uniquely suited to this business, which is a combination of direct to consumer, direct to wholesalers like gyms, very small businesses. Some of them are very large. You know, I just saw, uh, I was looking at uh, an analysis uh, that I did uh, and, and just looking at the max average volume per month for a set of fitness centers who had just joined us within the last two years. And one of them has an average of nearly $13,000 of purchases from us per month Jeepers. over two years. Like that's a very big gym, right? So, uh, and uh, so it, it can range from a very small operation in a garage that it has our little refrigerator and is providing the drinks to our, so we have that business. Yep. And then we also have the wholesale businesses. So we have very distinct businesses and all our systems have to support all of them. So it's been a really wonderful opportunity to, uh, apply the experiences that I've had prior to designing and implementing and maintaining and managing those. Uh, and so that's been a focus of mine. Internally, uh, as far as the internal operations, I'm, I'm of course, uh, partnered with Aaron and Orion uh, in the leadership of the company. And so all the department head meetings and all of the cadence of our uh, goal execution process, all of those things are managed partly by me and uh, and I, I, I'm, again, the guy who keeps the trains running, make sure yeah. all of those meetings ensue. How many employees do you guys have now? We have a little over 100 now. Well, I'll tell you, 13,000 a month, they've either built, a, your, your product's either built a real cult following or it's a front for their cocaine operation. That's a lot of... It's the former. It's a yeah, cult it's... following. That, it, you know, one of the most uh, satisfying things in the early days was finding out how how significant the conversion from trial to continuous purchasing was for consumers. Oh, I was, I was using your stuff at the genius network events and I was, I was like, it was constant. And, and I don't know whether there's something in there that made it kind of addictive, like, but, it, but I liked the flavor and I liked the results and it didn't, and I didn't have the kind of sugary taste of, of like the Gatorade or, and certainly not Red Bull, which is disgusting. Your, your stuff actually worked and tasted good. Yeah, well, thank you. And it's not because there's something addictive like, you know, for example, Bang and others have as much as 300 milligrams of caffeine. For someone who isn't aware of what they're consuming there, 
that can be really addictive. That's Caffeine tough. is an addictive drug. Yeah. And, 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 and it's also at that level, it's too much for your system. We have 45 milligrams of caffeine, not 300. Yeah, it's dangerous. So it's got a little bit of, a, of an acuity boost, but it's not, not crazy. Focusate, by the way, has 100 milligrams of caffeine. Okay. Uh, it, because the purpose of Focusate is actually to give you that concentration that comes from the caffeine boost. Now, you guys, because of COVID, had a shift in your business. We were talking earlier, and it was that your, your couple of main um, distribution points flipped. Can you speak to that at all? Yeah. So the biggest, uh, the biggest impact of COVID on the company was the closure of gyms. Right in most co- countries and in most, well, even now in in, in Europe uh, and, and in Australia, they're facing new shutdowns of gyms and other gathering places, and so it's been difficult to maintain the gym business. And in fact, that business dropped down to about seventy percent of what we saw in twenty nineteen. Hmm. But that's a, that's also a good story, right? Seventy percent of our volume was retained despite the COVID closings. Mm-hmm. That thirty percent on such a large business, you know, there's thousands and thousands of gyms who sell our product. Yeah, that thirty percent that that's not that big a loss, but it's also a very big number in, in terms of sales. But it was it was almost completely overcome by the growth in direct to consumer. So there's this huge buy-in that occurs in March of 2020, where suddenly a whole new host of, of uh, direct consumers are coming on as new to file customers for us. And then they show as retained all the way through to the present. So there's been a step up, a step function increase in our direct consumer business that is covering over so that between 2020, uh, 2019 and 2020, we had about 25% growth. We expect a similar kind of growth this year. Is your direct-to-consumer business higher margin, or does the fact that you're shipping out the small shipments chew into some of that margin? It does chew into some of that margin, but it still remains the highest contribution margin channel right. for us. Okay. Yeah. Um, how about on the people side of the business? Did COVID, were, were you guys a full office-based company prior to COVID, and, or did you have any impact or change there? Most, most of our uh, count, our head count is outside the office, right? Uh, we've always had maybe uh, of the, like, let's call 2020, we started out with maybe 65 employees total. Of those, maybe 25 were in the home office. The rest of them are in the field. So those people work remotely and always have. We shifted to all remote work and because of our systems, uh, you know, did not miss a beat. Mm-hmm. Everybody's working on SaaS systems today, and and um, you know, with the advent of Zoom meetings, then you know everything proceeded the pace. What were all the people that are out in the field working on? Were they like it was a direct sales? These are marketing? people who are merchandising. In effect, there are area sales managers. Primarily, the largest headcount is among area sales managers. We have area sales managers on almost every important region for our distribution. Yeah, and they go into accounts. They you know, uh, talk to the management, they assist them. That uh, We also have field teams that did not work in 2020 that are in demo mode, if you will. So we put up demonstrations of our product, uh, you know, a tent, you know, with our logos on it and we give out free samples. An interesting result from those is that the number one product uh, that is chosen by people who demo all our products like from the general consumer public is the lowest volume product that we sell. 
<laughs> That's the one they like the most. Which one's that? That, that one is called LifeAid. And it is our uh, supplement blend that's designed to reduce inflammation uh, based on components that we know have anti-inflammatory properties. Mm. Um, and it's, uh, it's got one, one of its primary uh, component supplements is turmeric. So you'll see that on the can when you see it in the, in the stores. Are they buying that just because that's your brand name and they think that's the one they have to point to? No, or? no, just the opposite. This is just where, you know, we have the lineup of cans. You can sample every one. And then they say, okay, we say, which one would you like to buy today? And we're going to give you a coupon to buy that today. And they go to LifeAid. 50% off. You get it. And they pick LifeAid more than most of the others, uh, than, than all of the others. Right? It's the number one choice. But that's probably based on flavor, right? And the idea of turmeric and the other supplements that are in the LifeAid formulation. I think the opposite is true when you look at our lineup on a grocery shelf. You know, you've probably heard of FitAid. You've never heard of LifeAid, and it's not clear what the purpose of that particular drink is. FocusAid is very clear. Immunity you know, is very clear. It's interesting. Like I'm, I'm just kind of running through what my gut instinct reaction is, and I would have gone for the LifeAid as well. It feels like the thing that draws me in. Focus aid, I got to wonder why I'm getting it. The party aid, I'm, I'm not really hung over. The golf aid, I'm like, I'm not the golf course. But the fit aid, I'm like, like, but the life aid just feels like for every occasion, all the time, kind of, I wonder if there's anything just even in that. I wonder if you called it like something else aid, if people would go for it, or if it is the flavoring. I don't know. It's weird. That, that's possible. That's possible. But such, uh, life aid is, uh, is a daily drinker. You yeah. should drink one every day. It's, right. it's really good for you. And, and, uh, and, and, but it doesn't, it doesn't jump off the shelf. We, you know, we have, uh, you know, programs underway to, you know, try oh, to Oh, it doesn't what, jump off the shelf. They like the taste, but it doesn't go off the shelf as much. That's right. I'm just oh, saying okay. that when, when a customer doesn't have the opportunity to sample and compare, yeah, they don't select that one over the other one. Oh, I was wrong then. Okay. That, yeah, that's they, the opposite. They, yeah. But, but uh, so, so it's not a lot, it's not leaping off the shelf by itself, hmm. but when you do a demo, and you offer an explanation for what each of the formulations does and, and have them sample the products, you know, LifeAid was the one that, uh, you know, got the most choice. Interesting. All right. How about on the outsourcing component of the business? You mentioned that you outsource the, the manufacturing and distribution, a couple, a couple of facilities um, or three. What else do you outsource? Huh. Not you have, like any any sales direct sales or anything on the marketing side is all your marketing in-house well there are a number of uh, uh resources that we turn to to do uh you know some of the art and production uh you know for for our brand yeah uh, but we also have uh, an internal art department okay right, that does some of that work but it's a lot of work for yeah. all the many brands that we have and so on so we do outsource some of that and, um, but beyond that, there's very little that we, you know, uh, put outside of our direct control. What do you, what are the challenges you're facing right now? Is, as have you had any challenges due to the, this recent round of funding at all? Does having more money cause any problems? I, I can say definitively, no, it doesn't cause any problems, whatever. Okay. <laughs> having money, especially in a business that is so competitive. And where we have such a big opportunity ahead of us is really essential. And, and there are competitors who are, you know, public at this point who are raising 
10x what we're right. raising now in order to play on the field against the big players, Bang, Celsius, Alani New, who are really well capitalized as public companies and are, you know, really, uh, you know, knocking it out of the park. How do you not get sloppy with with raising money? How do you not over hire and and you know get a little bit sloppy? You know, you got I'm not going to say the amount, but you just raised a good amount of money in the in the kind of eight figures range. How do you not get sloppy and waste that? Well, the the founders have always been very very careful about the, the capitalization, and we have been extremely capital efficient to date. Even this round is a very small uh, dilution of equity in order to get that, given the valuation that we were affording. Hmm. So the, there isn't there isn't this uh, you know uh, spend money at all costs. It's really focused on ROI. You know where are we going to get a return on the investment? Where is it essential to you know make investments in businesses that we want to build a moat around, um, particularly the gym business, key business for us. Um, and, and, and it's subject to intense competition. Mm. Um, all the players would love to have a, as big a footprint in the gym market as we do. For sure. And so and, they, and they've got, you know, war chests to come after us. So we know that there are, you know, strategic placements that have to be made. We also know that there is an opportunity for us to make a step function increase in the level of awareness and appeal to the general consuming public out there. Right now, I would say that unprompted awareness of our product is very, very low still. Mm-hmm. And penetration is very low. Uh, you know, Some of that money will go towards the uh, determination of what the most capital efficient ways are for us to extend that. Is there any, do you do any private label at all or, or white labeling where you, you, know, you have your product mm-hmm. under the like fit body you know, brand or the F45, you don't know, is there any no, market? We've, we've had opportunities to do that, but, yeah. but it just is, it's outside our, our core competence and focus at this point. Yeah. It makes sense. All right. I want to go back to the final question. We got to go way back in time because you've been around and through the MBAs and the school and everything. If I want to go back to the 22 year old self, you know, graduating Dartmouth and getting ready to start on your career, what advice would Andy Halliday have for Andy Halliday back then? You know, when I, when I look back on, on all of the twists and turns of my life and in my career, um, I, 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 what, I, what I think about it is, you know, I didn't really have a plan. I didn't, didn't really have an objective. I was, in some respects, a bit of a dilettante. You know, I, I took the opportunities that seemed tastiest at the, at the next moment. Mm. And, and my advice to my younger self would be, don't worry about what choices you make. You know, don't, don't be so focused on making good decisions about your career, but rather make the decisions that you took good ones by your effort and your application of your disciplines and your excellence and just make it happen. You know, leave everything that you that you approached a bit better than when you found it. It's funny that that's my, my sister was an elite ski racer as well. And that's been her approach is in ski racing, you know, you get two runs in most of them other than downhill. And, you know, first run, you go balls out. And if you finish great, you get a second run, but you, you don't leave anything on the hill. Like you, you go for it. And, yeah. and in business, she's just been that way as well as you just give everything to whatever part of your career you're in. And then that'll lead you to your next one. 
instead of worrying that's, about that's it. That's exactly true. Although my experience in skiing is a little odd <laughs> because the one professional race that I actually won yeah. at Fortress Mountain, okay. I thought I had gone down really slowly. I, I felt like I had not given it all, huh. but it was smooth enough and fast enough that I won the race. Just that the, you were in flow. Well, yeah. Andy Holiday, the COO for Life Aid Beverages, really appreciate the time sharing with us on the Second Command podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Cameron. That was great. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.